Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the Emmy-winning southernmost point adorned to the Emmy-winning lands of always winter, and what is ever Emmy-winning west of west, and, and the shadows in the Emmy-winning east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Kat Napsuck. Welcome back to the show. And well, it's an award-winning week indeed. The Emmys last weekend, and the television people hand out their awards, their nice little trophies. Game of Thrones did quite well. Now, let me start. Let me start off with this right now. I am not using this to rub in anything to anyone. I know a lot of people didn't like season eight. I know a lot of people fell off the Game of Thrones wagon, and I don't like that. You heard last week's episode with the great guest, Michelle Boyd, who will be back on the show as often as possible, of course. Uh, you heard some of her disappointments with. Game of Thrones season 8. I don't like hearing that. Shell and I are good friends. We bonded over our love of Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. I hadn't, I hadn't really... I knew of Michelle. I'd been around her at parties and I, uh, I even pitched some stuff to the, to the uh, girls at Team Unicorn when she was part of that group. I didn't know her until I sat down to watch Game of Thrones with her season 5 and then we became fast friends over that. So to hear her last week sit there and say, uh, you know, it kind of tuned out after Episode 3. That breaks my heart. I don't want that. And I don't want any of you listening out there to have that. But that's the reality of the situation. And we're going to work through that in terms of HBO's Game of Thrones. We still have Song of Ice and Fire and Fire and Blood and Blood Moons and Longer Nights and who knows what else coming down the pipeline. And we're going to focus on that. But this week we can't ignore the Emmy wins. And I... I gotta tell you, it made me feel kind of good. Made me feel kind of good. Now, I've said this before. When, when uh, Game of Thrones also, they had some People's Choice Awards, right? Uh, or nominations, at least a couple weeks ago. Awards don't necessarily mean everything. Wins and losses and award shows, it's just kind of weird. You're rewarding, uh, you know, good art, talented people. If you win, you've earned it. If you lose, you don't necessarily have, uh, you know, have deserved that. It's it's a weird process, and the process, of course, to get these shows nominated is is a little weird. Hollywood Foreign Press with the Golden Globes, that's a little weird. The money uh, for the Oscar campaigns, you know, it's probably more than the Emmys, but it's also probably just as salacious and scandalous at times, too. Uh, just go to 1998, Shakespeare in Love. There you go. Enough said. But it's also still a thing. And when the show's rewarded, we as fans should celebrate that. That's what I preach in my regular life. Celebrate the wins. Feel good, feeling good. We should feel good if you're a Game of Thrones fan. A lot of this, I'm looking at the list here. Harper's Bazaar, of all places, has a nice comprehensive uh, list of every Emmy Game of Thrones has won going back to uh, 2011. And it's interesting to see this. This is the year, uh, I think, uh, competing with 2016. Uh, what do we got? Let's do a quick count. Six. There's a nine, 10, 11, 12. The tie. Wow. 2016, 2019. Looks like they're tied for the most wins uh, for the show. And this is good, man. This is good. Outstanding Drama Series, the big win. Outstanding Supporting Actor, again, for Peter Dinklage for Supporting Actor in a Drama Series. It also took home Outstanding Single Camera Picture Editing for Drama Series. I bet you didn't know they had that. Outstanding Sound Editing for a Comedy or Drama Series, one hour. Outstanding Main Title Design. I mean, they should just hand that the Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, Outstanding Sound Mixing for a Comedy or Drama. Beat out some of those comedies. Outstanding Makeup for a Single Camera Series, Non-Prosthetic. 
Outstanding special effects, outstanding stunt coordination for drama series, limited series, or movie, outstanding music composition for a series, original dramatic score, yeah, Rami Jawadi, and outstanding fantasy sci-fi costumes, and finally, outstanding casting for a drama series, and I, I do agree with that. Uh, a lot of the awards are, are similar in some of the bigger years. Um, previously, they they had so many nominations this year in the directing category, and then as everyone sees, thanks to the memes out there, Jason Bateman defeated all of Game of Thrones. Uh, to me, uh, again, uh, the wins, I, I, don't, I celebrate the wins, but I don't take them too seriously. I don't take the losses too seriously, but it was very nice. It was very nice. Does this negate anything? No. If you have some problems with it, it's, uh, it doesn't negate it. The, the previous wins don't negate it. I was looking at some of the previous wins. It's interesting. The big ones, of course, you go through all the behind the uh, behind the scenes stuff, the below the line stuff, all those things. Those are those are important wins because it makes the show. I mean, uh, stunt coordination, uh, prosthetic makeup, uh, music composition, all of that goes into making Game of Thrones what it is. So we're not downplaying that. It's tremendously talented artists in those uh, skill sets. And if you watch the the documentary uh, that HBO put out, I mean, I'm glad it focused on uh, the the smaller uh, cogs in the wheel uh, versus some of the ones we're, we're very familiar with. It, it, it's very key to the show, but I love some of these wins. Looking at the big ones there, 2018 uh, Outstanding Drama Series, Dinklage wins there, 2016 Outstanding Drama Series, uh, of course, out of the running, 2017. Um, they weren't even there, right? There was that little mishap with the show got moved. Uh, outstanding writer Writing for Drama Series, this is 2016 Emmy's Battle of the Bastards, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. I thought they were bad writers. I guess they're Emmy-nominated and Emmy-winning writers. That's, that's weird to me. Outstanding directing for a drama series, uh, Miguel Sapochnik's Battle of the Bastards. But that's not season six. Celebrate those wins. But there's some th- things in season six we, didn't, we don't like, right? Or, or we don't like as much. Even some of the super positive me, right? You know, some of the Arya stuff took a little while. The waste stuff, we weren't as happy with that. Yeah, all those things. All those things are there. Um, also, it's so weird to think when I think back to season six, seems like just yesterday, 2016. Don't, don't even get me started. It is weird to look, though, uh, going back to uh, the beginning, 2011. Outstanding main title design. That's yeah, a given almost uh, every year. I mean, they didn't win it every year, but it should be. It should be, like I said, Lifetime Achievement Award. And Outstanding Supporting Actor in Drama Series, Peter Dinklage as Tyrion Lannister, season one. And all that, I, I definitely, definitely lines up, definitely makes sense. Uh, but only two. And then 2012 for season two, they, they you know, they win uh, six awards. So you think the train's rolling out. But season three, two awards. Outstanding special visual effects. Outstanding makeup for single camera star, uh, series non-prosthetic. I can't remember who, the nom- who was nominated that year and all those things. But it's an interesting step back. In season three, of course, uh, Red Wedding season, uh, Relatively remembered positively, though for me, this is my personal journey. Season three slipped down the list on uh, on my rankings a while ago. I just remember digging back into it and going, I think I like season two more than three. You guys have heard me talk about that before. I won't go into it. 2014, four wins. And then 2015 is where it's like, all right, this is the... This is the show. This is the, it's on top of the world. A lot of the uh, uh, casting, sound editing, sound mixing, uh, visual effects, stunt coordination. But then Dinklage wins again, supporting actor in a drama series. And then uh, it also wins for outstanding writing, Mother's Mercy, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. And then best directing, David Nutter. Okay, a pre or post back injury, I don't know, but he wins for Mother's Mercy there. And uh, again, we 2016, we talked about 18. So then it sets into a place where by, by 2016, uh, excuse me, by 2015, they're winning big and they're pretty much winning big every year. It was the early years, which makes some sense. Anyways, uh, just looking at the Emmys, look at the show. It is the most decorated show uh, around. And that says something. And it says something uh, about the, the legacy of the show. And we'll see what this final season, we've had deeper discussions and we'll continue to have deeper discussions on what the legacy of the show will be following this ending and, and what it means for other shows that ended, you know, with questions, ended with, with fervor, fan fervor. Yeah, look at The Sopranos. That ending, and I'm not, I'm not you know, full disclosure, a huge uh, Sopranos guy, um, but it was part of the pop culture and part of uh, 
conversation when the show ended in a way where people were like, we, we didn't like that. And we got all this way for this. We went, we went on this journey for this. We didn't like that. And I don't think that conversation comes up as much. The difference between Game of Thrones, and this will come up again and again and again, The Sopranos is big, of course. It, I mean, it's, and it's a, a groundbreaking show. But Game of Thrones really just is a large part responsible for this giant pop culture explosion, right? And you can look at, I think you look at the X-Men movies back in 2000, making Comic-Con a little bit bigger. Then you make the Twilight movies. You have to include the Twilight movies for just exploding San Diego Comic-Con scene and nerd culture and kind of helping to create that. And then and the MCU stuff, Star Wars coming back by then, it's exploded. But Game of Thrones, beyond just changing the landscape of television and what we expect from television, it was the conversations. And it took it beyond just your comic book shops or your friend group. This conversation, uh, the Game of Thrones conversation was happening everywhere with everyone. And I think that will stand up. And when I and I, I'm, the reason I'm thinking about it again and talking about it again here on Casterly Talk is watching the Emmys. I don't watch the Emmys often, but watching them win, watching the reception. And I, yes, I agree. I, I understand why. I'm sure there's some technical production reasons. But put put John Bradley and Isaac Hempstead White and and, and Liam Cunningham on stage. All right, you know, I, you know, I get it. But you know, I was a little, I was I was a little hurt by that too. Just watching uh, their reception from those in the industry who know what this took out of them, knows what it meant to put the, the blood on those tracks as, as writers and directors and performers and, and special effects and casting and everything and all the things uh, that they keep winning in. It's a lot goes into that. And, and to see how they were received and to see they are, they are truly rock stars, whether Dinklage wants to be or not. They're truly rock stars to not just the fans uh, outside the bounds uh, and the walls of these, of this industry, but within the industry. And that happens every now and then, you know, MCU actors, I would say though, to, quite frankly, now there's just so many MCU actors. I don't know if it's as, as special as it used to be, but you know, that that's part of it too. Star Wars actors. And as much as I love the new stuff and the sequel trilogy, uh, you know, we're not in that, it's a, it, it, we're not with that. Uh, the the Daisy Ridley's and the Oscar Isaacs and and John Boyega's are huge to a lot of people, but you know it's not the same as the big three in the seventies. It, it never will be. It never can be. Uh, Harrison, Mark, and Carrie are, you know, it, it's not just what they did. It's just the time and and the landscape and the conversation. It was was different, and so they are legends or, uh, and on that level. Daisy John and Oscar and, and Adam Driver, all of them are, are, are in the category. But, you know, it's not, you know, I've been, and I've been in the room when Adam Driver has come in and it's like, that's Kylo Ren. Don't mention it to him because he'll, he'll really get mad. But don't, don't mention it. But you know what I mean? The Game of Thrones folks are rock stars. Everyone in that auditorium became a fan because they were fans when they walked on stage. And that to me, shows and indicates that the legacy of this show will be one that's positive. It will endure any negativity. It will endure the questions and it will remain. And I think as people go back and rewatch the show, uh, dig in a little bit more, relive it. Even if you're tremendously familiar with it, you might go back and take it all in again. And, And I think you won't remember Tony Soprano looking at the door and Journey playing. You won't remember the frustrations you might have had with the story. You'll just go on the journey again. For some, it will remain always what it it will be to them, a a, a disappointment or missed opportunity. That's fair. But I was really, really encouraged by what I saw at the Emmys and what I felt uh, while watching it. I felt what, uh, what they received, and I think that will be what goes on. So congratulations to everyone from the Game of Thrones crew. Uh, who won, who was nominated, and just a part of it. You are truly rock stars indeed. And, wow, what a run. What a run. Next week, we hope to have uh, Rachel back in studio to talk about Fire and Blood and the ideas behind it. She reread the book. That's scary. I know know this book. I know this story. I know Game of Thrones. Michelle, last week, she knows that we were talking about it. 
but you heard us struggle with some of the names. It's hard not to. Rachel knows them all, and she just reread Fire and Blood, and she said, hey, I want to come back soon. I want to talk about it. I can't wait to have that conversation with her as I get more and more excited for the the possibility of this show. It, it, it's still, you know, the the chances of us seeing Fire and Blood are are slimmer than we'd like to probably admit just for the process of pilots and everything like that. Same with, same with the other series. Uh, what we still uh, call Blood Moon, uh, but I, I, I don't, you know, that uh, that's not final to me. Um, it is so, it's, it's, it's very possible we don't see these. But I am just getting more and more excited for what could possibly come out of the pages of the Fire and Blood, Blood book and onto the screen. And uh, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to take a break right now. But Rachel, like I said, Rachel's going to come back to the studio very soon. Uh, not today, not this episode. You got me recording late here. Uh, on a Friday night after a long week. Um, but, you know, that's all right. You know, you see, you got yourself your own personal Stannis here north of the wall. Is that so bad? My beard is very Stannis-like right now. Actually, my beard, you guys can't see. I'll scratch it on this mic. My beard is very Davos after the Battle of Blackwater Bay. We're standing on that rock in the sun, blisters, Sores, clothes soiled and dirty and ripped. I was in the battle. I love that. I was in the battle. Which king did you serve? Pause, pause, pause. The one true king, Stannis Baratheon. I love Davos. He's a great mentor in the game as well. We're going to be talking about mentors on the other side of the break. They are a plenty in Game of Thrones. And it makes me love the show even more. We've got a great question, a thought stutter coming our way about mentors and Game of Thrones and a lot more. Stick around. It's Casterly Talk. Good to have you here. You're all Emmy winners in my book. See you on the other side of this break. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back here on Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsock. Welcome back. Going deep inside the world of ice and fire. I'm enjoying a lot of uh, your calls. A lot. I'm enjoying all of them. Be honest, Ken. Yes, I'm enjoying all of them. I get to all of them when I can and put them into uh, nice, fun little episodes. If I occasionally, if I skip one, it's not you. It's me. Uh, The episode might not have lent itself to your voice, your question. But I always try to get to them. How do you get to us here on Casterly Talk? Go to the Anchor app. Download the Anchor app for your phone or go to the desktop. There's a link. Uh, and you can leave a message, 59 seconds. Give a question uh, uh, to us here. Get a thought starter going. Make us think. Make us think, children. Prove us wrong, children. Okay. Thank you, Seymour Skinner. What do we got here? We got, we got, reading it here. We got three good ones. We got good ones. Let's start with our friend, Eric Monroe. Oops. Nope. Keep going, Ken. There's Eric. Hey, Ken and Cashley Talk. So I want to talk about the prequels and the scheduling of them airing. You got I'm it, assuming Eric. both, in fact, go to series, which I personally hope they do. I personally, I wouldn't want both to air at the exact same time. And by that, I mean, I wouldn't want 
a blood moon to be 9 o'clock and then 10 o'clock is fire and blood. I'd rather be more spread out where one, let's say, airs in the fall and the other airs in the spring because there's going to be a lot to talk about. So many characters. I'd rather just focus on uh, one at a time. And as far as how many episodes I would want in the seasons, uh, of course I would love both to be 10 episodes, but I think more realistically, I think it would be a little shorter. I think they're going to be maybe eight episodes, which I, I think that's that's okay, an okay number. Um, and I also agree with something you have said. I definitely think one of them could very well be HBO Max's uh, flagship show. All right, Eric, talking prequels again. Uh, we're talking prequels from Blood Moon to the Blood. Um, okay, yeah. I haven't thought about when they'd air. Uh, it, it would seem, and we're just, for, for clarity purposes, we're, we're just going to refer to the Naomi Watts-led, uh, Jane Goldman-produced, uh, with George R. R. Martin-produced series, Blood Moon, that prequel. We're, we're just going to call it Blood Moon um, just because that keeps popping up. But again, nothing official. But if I keep saying prequel one and prequel two, eh, we're going to get confused. Uh, Blood Moon, I, I, I just would assume that it would go in the springtime. That seems to be the Game of Thrones time, uh, up until the end, though, of course, when things changed a bit. And it did seem a little awkward, right? Uh, it, it change The changes can happen, and you can form new traditional times pretty easily. Star Wars did it, and this is, yes, of course, bigger scale in the theater. But they did it by moving Force Awakens to December and owning that month re- just uh, restructuring, reframing what that month is for big blockbuster movies. Uh, and that's important to note. And, and it was, before that, it was May. And it was weird. It was announced Star Wars movie in December. Well, I mean, every other one was in May. It's the beginning of the blockbuster season. And it's Star Wars. Come on now. But they very quickly flipped that script, started a new narrative, and it seemed weird. And then it kind of didn't work financially when Solo was released in May. Reclaim the month. Nah, it didn't work. So Game of Thrones always to me was that springtime thing. April, start of baseball, WrestleMania, Game of Thrones. That was how I scheduled my life. And uh, then, you know, it, 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 it changed a little bit with the shooting schedule, all those things. We don't need to go into it. I don't think it hurt it. It, it didn't, it didn't, but it just, at times it felt a little weird. Like, oh, we're, we're, we're waiting. The fact that, uh, was it, uh, uh, season seven? It was weird that we were at Comic-Con. I was working for Collider then, and we got, we got the, the privilege of going to the, uh, Game of Thrones, uh, event that they had there, a little walkthrough with the painted table and, uh, the, uh, throne on Dragonstone, all that stuff. But it was, and it was and it was set. It was all done around the fact that the first two episodes had aired. We were in the middle of the season at Comic Con. It was the first time, and the display they knew that they were so there was things from the first two episodes in the display, but not from episode three and, and more. So it it did feel weird to have Game of Thrones at that time. So I think you need one there. Give me my give me Blood Moon April. Put it on the calendar. Put it to series. Again, which is, is, it's not a sure thing. Let's hope positive vibes. Positive vibes will be kickball. I don't know a lot of details about HBO Max. I've obviously been focusing a lot of my attention on uh, uh, Disney Plus and that November 12th release and, and the shows uh, that are going to be on there that, I, that I'm looking forward to and, and we'll be covering on, on Star Wars podcasts. So I don't know much about HBO Max, and I'm just guessing that a Fire and Blood-based series would be on HBO Max. Not that it couldn't be on HBO proper, but ever since uh, my buddy Thad Williams over at Collider's uh, TV Talk uh, mentioned that to me, it just, it just makes too much sense. Just makes too much sense. But you still got to be concerned about when you release it. If you got the where, you got you to worry about the when, and that's why it's a great question from Eric. I definitely do not think, I'm not worried one bit, that if both go to series, whether Fire and Blood is on HBO Max or not, you will not see them around the same release schedule. You got you to gotta part that out. You got, because then you would be worried about Game of Thrones overload. Right? And as far as episodes, you know, we're, we're, 
look what happened when you didn't give us 10. I think there was a lot of, there was a twofold problem. When we heard it was seven and then six in the final two seasons, we prejudged a lot. How dare they? It's not enough time. And then we, so we already were clued into it. So anything that felt like, oh, they don't have enough time, then you were like, oh, they didn't have enough, enough, enough time. And that's not wrong. I, you know, I, I, Give me one episode more in season seven. Give me two episodes more in season eight. I am not complaining. I'm not complaining if you give me a full t- load of 10. You know what I mean? But it might not be as bad as people thought, but we're, we went in looking for a fight. Only seven episodes? How dare they? See? See, that dragon flew up north of the wall way too fast. If they had eight episodes, we would have had an episode of that dragon flying. You know you know what I mean? Again, not that some of the criticisms on how fast they were aren't, uh, aren't valid. Uh, and, and I always want more Game of Thrones. Uh, so that said, going to these new series, I think you could establish a new precedent saying eight episodes is all we need. It's all the money we need, HBO. It's all the writing we need, all the directors, cast, crew, because maybe you're going to get big, battle, big battles. And that's it. I mean, I got to assume, especially especially with Blood Moon, Fire and Blood, you're going to assume, yes, you're going to have a lot of dragons fighting. You're going to get to some big battles. Uh, large-scale battles? Maybe not as large as the Game of Thrones story, but you'll get some big battles. We don't know. We don't know anything about Age of Heroes in terms. I mean, we know a lot, yes, but we don't know specifics. Could you get uh, the big battle being Duron God's grief uh, ending the storms? You know, <laughs> is that the battle we're going to get? I don't know. It's interesting. I loved it. So, uh, do they need ten episodes to tell that story? We don't know, and that's a benefit. That is a benefit. Even with Game of Thrones first going into season one, we knew there was a lot of story to tell because we knew it was based on these big, thick, juicy books. So 10 made sense. I, uh, I, I, I want 10 for the prequel series. I guess I'll come down on that. But they could do eight. Get away with it. All right. Great thoughts, Eric. Always love hearing you here at Casterly Talk. Uh, here on a late Friday night for me. It's like I'm hanging around with you all, sipping some rum, talking Game of Thrones with friends. Like uh, this friend, uh, Mark from Mark Talk. Hey, Ken. Hello, everyone at Casterly Talk. This is your neighborhood-friendly Mark from Mark Talk speaking, and we're talking about what-ifs. And I had a what-if that's sort of been gnawing at my brain here, and I'm. It's, I'll, let me put it to you. What if Ned did not make it to the Tower of Joy in time to see Lyanna. You know, what if he got held up, you know, fighting uh, fighting the Trident and, of course, uh, the sacking of King's Landing? But what if he didn't arrive in time at the Tower before Lyanna died? And then suddenly there's this baby. What happens then? What happens to... Uh, a.k.a. Jon Snow, after that, does he continue? Does the story continue? What happens to our characters if Ned doesn't make it in time for the promise? Wow. All right. Wow. This, you know, we've been, we've been doing these what-ifs since the show uh, ended, and it's fun. It's fun to go back. And there's no real true answer, right? The butterfly effect is always flapping. And this one, I hadn't I thought about a lot of them. We've been talking about a lot of them. This one's interesting to me. I mean, they're all interesting, but this one's got me a little puzzled. Yeah, in one sense, maybe none of this happens, right? It's one of those pull the brick out, the story falls, and the thing that we know doesn't exist. But we're not saying Ned's dead. We're saying Ned doesn't get there to the Tower of Joy in time. Time for me meaning Leanna's death. The birth of Aegon Targaryen, the 42nd, uh, whatever, uh, whatever number you want to throw on him there. Um, fake gone where we miss you. Um, Jon Snow's born and, and Ned's not there. So that's what I consider getting there late. And I think, Mark, you think that too. Does the fight happen at all? Does Lyanna give birth and Sir Arthur Dane, the sword of the morning, is there, and he's the one that takes the child. Ned shows up, the tower's empty. Nobody's there. 
we missed it. Maybe his sister's body is there, gruesome, morbid, but, you know, it's the show. It's the story. And maybe he mourns that. So let's go with that. Arthur, Sir Arthur Dane, takes Jon Snow, probably goes deeper into Dorne. Dorne maybe becomes uh, the center of a rebellion against the crown. Fighting back. Well, they are the crown at this point, technically. I guess they're holding out. Um, Does Tywin switch sides? Does Tywin open up the gates or have the gates open up for him and sack the city? King's Landing. I don't, uh, you know, do we even have that? Um, Again, we're playing along with the timeline. The Mad King might still be alive here. This is what we got going on. Rhaegar's dead. We know this. All right. Just putting all of it down on paper. It all plays out. Mad King's dead. Tywin sacks the city. Robert goes to the crown, to the throne, takes it. All the stuff with Jamie plays out the same. I'm just saying, let's say all that happens. But Jon Snow, Aegon Targaryen, is in Dorne. Arthur Dane takes him down there. The Dornish people are like, man, you killed our beloved, uh, uh, you know, Elia Martel, but we got ourselves a Targaryen. You know? Dorne once again has to hold out. I think that kind of becomes the story. Dorne versus the world. The seven kingdoms, except for that one kingdom that never really knelt, just kind of shook hands and said, all right, we'll play along for a little bit. That could be the story. And as far as Ned himself, he's heartbroken. He's crestfallen. Does he blame Rhaegar? Does he blame the Dornish people, Dorne, Sir Arthur Dane, or is he faced with the truth? He is in that moment, whether or not he knows it before. And I, I think it's one of those uh, you know, Robert Baratheon's going around, Rhaegar stole my girl, and everyone's looking around like, he doesn't, he hasn't accepted. Okay, okay. But I think definitely at this point, I think, uh, you know, when, when Leanna's like, hey, here's my kid, uh, Rhaegar's the dad, promise me, Ned. You know, that changes the game for Ned. But if he doesn't really learn that, and the idea is, yes, it's a Targaryen, but uh, it wasn't under great circumstances that Leanna went to Rhaegar. You know what I mean? Like, does Ned still hold that on? Does that still fuel Robert's rage? And then does Robert's rebellion become now uh, the new king claiming, trying to fight and destroy this seventh kingdom? Get it in line, take the land. We all want to go down to the water gardens ourselves and fuel the rage. And Ned's along for the ride. And now maybe he's in the front of the vanguard here, literally, figuratively, in all ways you can imagine, because of what Rhaegar did, the affiliation with Dorne. Again, does does Dorne, are they happy? <laughs> That's the other thing, too. You know? If Dane, Arthur Dane takes a, takes a kid down there more, are they, they're not happy at Tywin. They, are they happy at, you know? Again, it's if, 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 the big what if for me is if the truth comes out. And who believes who? If they're like, all right, look, Leanna, Rhaegar didn't want Leanna, or he, he took her by force, and we got the kid, it's still, a, it's still a pawn. But, you know, you killed Rhaegar's wife, our Elia uh, Martell, and that's what we're upset about. I, or do they accept the truth? Sir Arthur Day, no. I think his... I think those around Rhaegar might have known. You know what I mean? Even though the wedding was a secret, even though we didn't, we that that didn't come into play till later, and I I don't think that would come into play. That aside, um, again, just everything about it seems like from taverns to the great halls, everyone kind of had an idea, but then the story gets told, and and Rhaegar is cast as a villain in Robert's story, so. It's a powerful what if. I love thinking that he's on air. I don't look. I I love just for, your, your answer is going to come from your gut. You can put theory theories down and strings to thumbtacks on boards, and and those are okay. That's okay. 
Uh, I'd like I'd like to come back to that and and really hear more from from you all out there. It does change everything. I'm really interested in what it would do to Ned based on what information he wouldn't have. Um, and then the final, I guess the final wrinkle is, all right, so what if he does? What if he knows and what if he comes down and Leanna's dead, Aegon Targaryen Jon Snow is gone, but Ned still knows. Robert would still want war. He'd still want to destroy things, but Ned knows. That's a good what if. Just the same Ned we know and love emerge. I think he's always going to be there, but you know what I mean? The one who would fight against Robert, leave his small council because he wanted to destroy Targaryens. Good question, Mark. A lot there. At least what I love these what ifs. I'd, I'm not giving the best answers. I am just opening the conversations and happy to have them with all of you. So give me your thoughts. What if Ned got to the tower just a bit too late? Final one from today uh, comes from Alden Diaz, and uh, this is what I was talking about earlier. Great thing about mentors in Game of Thrones. Hey, Ken, it's Alden here. I've uh, been thinking a lot about the mentors of Game of Thrones and how they inform the different characters that we have along the way. So when you look at Jon Snow, you know, he wouldn't be the man that he is by the end if it were not for, you know, Maester Aemon and, of course, Ned, but even people like Mance Raider. And you can definitely make an argument that Daenerys, you know, fell because she lost mentors and, and you know, figures of guidance like Jorah, like Ser Barristan Selmy. So I'm curious to see what you think about mentors and how they shape the different protagonists of the series what role that they have for better and for worse. Uh, You know, you look at things like Tywin and the way that he raised his children, arguably having the biggest impact on the world, probably of any parent in the history of Westeros. Uh, It's it's really interesting. You know, you've got Sandor Clegane and Beric Dondarrion. So curious to see what you think. Thanks for your time, Ken. Great stuff from Alden. Some great music playing in the background too, Alden. Yeah, this... This I'm not going to even do justice because this is uh, this is worthy its own uh, its own little, uh, chapter in a book. The mentors of Game of Thrones. It's so important. It's so important right from the beginning. Mentors, guides, uh, right hand folk. It is very very key. Daenerys. It comes to mind right away, and, and all that mentions it. Yeah, she starts to lose her way. Uh, you know, because she's, people start dropping. And and that doesn't, I don't want to take anything away from Danny. by the way. She, she can make her own decisions. And sometimes, believe me, absolutely, she taught them things. I totally love some of the stuff of uh, her uh, just chastising Barristan and Jorah for criticizing people, her in front of people the, the and questioning her in front of people. Yeah, no, Dan, Danny did, went a long way on herself, make no mistake. But she had... Important and powerful mentors on her side. And it starts starts very early uh, with Jorah. A, a mentor, a, a protector, and, and, and yeah, there's a lot of wrinkles there. But it's there. And then, you know, her handmaidens in, in the, in the uh, uh, Dothraki horde there. And, and even, uh, even uh, you know, <laughs> to, to have Dorea come in here and, and teach her the ways of love. That was uh, certainly a mentor, too. A memorable scene about it. Um I think it was very important to her from the beginning because she is so lost and cut adrift in this land and she needs it. And the only mentor she thinks she has is her crazy brother. And, and that goes away pretty fast. Um, so we see to me, she's helped along the way and she learns from every one of them along the way, even up Olena Tyrell, you're a dragon, be a dragon. It's great advice. It kind of, in the end, though, Danny becomes a dragon. So did Olena give her the right advice? Yeah, I think she did. I think she did. <sighs> Mentors and Danny is worthy three chapters of the book. I don't think any of them led her astray. I think she, like I said, learned from each one of them. But then in the end, she made some mistakes. She made some mistakes along the way, too. So that's, to me, again, part of her story, part of her journey, are the mistakes she made with mentors or not. It makes her story that much more realistic to me and much more fulfilling and, and you can take much more from it. So we can focus on those and it's very clear, uh, the mentors she had and uh, it was a different relationship with them. It was very active, right? A lot of the other mentors, it was coming and going. 
Jon Snow on the flip side, you know, Ned, we don't see him really be a mentor to him. We know he was, and we know he looked up to him, and we we know Ned cared for him and, and kept that promise. But, you know, after season one, episode one, boom, that's it. That's it. Which is still one of the best scenes, especially now that you know, you know. Uh, Benjamin Stark is a mentor, but not the one he wants him to be. He can't. He just can't, and that's part of I think Benjamin mentoring Jon Snow. Nope, you're not, no easy roads. I got to go out. You got to stay back. But then the other mentors show up, and none more powerful for a lot of folks than Jor Mormont. I, oh, man, I just love that character. His death is still talk about painful deaths. And I, you know, as as someone who started reading the books right after the show started, I did not know when when Jorah uh, falls. When Jorah falls, um, I did not know it was coming. Specifically, like I didn't have a. Uh, this is the episode, but I. It just it's the mentor role. It's the Obi Wan Kenobi role, right? Gandalf too, uh, and and in this series, no one's coming back as uh, the Lord Commander uh, uh, the White. You know, so. Well, I guess that you could in this series come as a as a white uh, W I G H T. Lord Commander Mormont is just the epitome of it. The tough love, uh, but the love, the soft love beneath it. The inspiring, you know. There's a lot of inspiring moments and speeches. And Aemon, Aemon Targaryen's a, another great mentor too. The stuff he says to John and, and his reveal of being, you know, Maester Aemon. Oh, I'm Aemon Targaryen. Like, powerful stuff. But your Mormont, it's, it's, it's just there. It's present. It's powerful. We can all relate to it. Maybe that uh, crusty baseball coach, your distant father. I don't know. It's all there, but you know he means well. It really works for me with, with Samwell, too, and how it plays back into the... Jorah Mormont uh, at the uh, Citadel moment, and now it's there. And 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 Sam Tarly, I forbid you to die. After he's just really messed up and probably deserves it in people's eyes. That's why his death is 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 a tough one to me. Davos Seaworth, so good at mentoring and mentoring the mentors too. I love the speeches. Liam Cunningham's so great. I love those Davos speeches that that begin with, well, I may only be a smuggler. Well, I may only be a crabber's son. Well, I'm no warrior. Like, you should do a supercut of, of all those speeches that start with Davos, but it all works. Uh, he is an immediate mentor to so many people. He's the reason Leanna Mormont joins the fray, right? Absolutely. The whispers of, who is this guy? Hey, don't worry about him. I love watching him time and time again do the tough mentoring. And then mentoring, we always think of mentoring in Game of Thrones, of, of what it uh, does to those younger than the, than the person who's the mentor. But uh, Davos, I think at times, was a mentor to Stannis. And Stannis, him at times. But that's why he kept him around. That's why he made him the hand of the king. That's why he, he knew, even in his... Uh, you know, even in his uh, obsession and fascination with Melisandre and the Lord of Light and what that all might mean, Stannis more than a few times knew knew what he you know knew what he had done wrong and knew when he needed Davos, and then he knew when he needed him to go when he was going to commit the ultimate sin. Davos had to go because he knew he wouldn't allow it, and that to me is a mentor relationship too. Uh, it comes up time and time again, and then people have roles, and I love watching it change. I'm talking about Danny and, and her mentors, and you know she kind of becomes one for Masende, uh, even Grey Worm to a, to a point. I think you can agree, but she has moments with her mentors where she reminds them, you know, you, you got a lot to learn too. It's a little bit different than watching Jon Snow transition into a leader, transition into a mentor himself. And it happens pretty damn early, right? Uh, with uh, um, Pip, Gren, and of course Sam. Um, it's not, you know, he's more a protector, more a leader, but it's, it's a, it's a peer mentor. And he picks up on it right away. And, 
watching John kind of transition to the wall and the pain of, of Ollie, who you, you know, there's John was like, I'm going to mentor this kid. He's going to kill you, John. He's going to kill you, John. I love watching that though. It's part of what, uh, what happens, uh, you know, with him and Sam, it's, it's more friendship than mentor relationship, but it's there. And you, you, your friends can mentor you. It happens in different situations. So that one's just as powerful for me. It's not all about the old crusty men. And then again, we talk about Elena Tyrell. Speaking of mentors, she, to me, wasn't the mentor in a classic sense. Sit down, let me guide you. In fact, quite the opposite. She was the one telling the truth. She was the one scheming and dreaming. And I think I think she's underrated because it's not the classic role. And not just because she's a female character or uh, more viewed as a head of a house. You know, the mentor's often don't have a giant active part in the story. And again, in the classic sense, Davos does, Tyrion does. They all do, but, you know, Jorgen, he's gone pretty soon. He's a leader. He's not out there. Uh, you know, he's out there fighting, but you don't expect him to be. It's like he has to go out there and do it, uh, as opposed to it's part of his duties. Elena's there. She's scheming. She's killing the king, for God's sake. So I don't think she gets enough credit as a mentor. But look at what she was doing with Marjorie. I love some of those speeches. Uh, was it season three into four? You know, uh, the oh, darling, I was good. I was good. Danerick, so damn good at, at what she did with that role. Uh, so I look at her and 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 what she did for the Tyrell house and what she did for Sansa. Sansa is someone who got a lot of uh, lessons from mentors, and not you know not the obvious ones either. She absolutely learned from Cersei. Absolutely. We know learned from Baelish up until the end. Thank you. You mentored me so well. Now, now we're going to kill you. So it's present throughout it all. And then the characters that don't take to mentors. Joffrey had mentors. Cersei was trying early on. That, that season one conversation She's really questioning, what would you do? I'd, I'd have an army. I'd have a standing army. And, and he's not necessarily wrong about all those things, right? But she's there. She has his ear, and she loses it. Tywin tried. Tyrion, for a second or two, may have tried. But Tywin, I think, knew right away, this kid does not want a mentor, and, and he's beyond it. Tywin, we're going to do more conversations about Tywin. Andres Cabrera and I are really waiting for the time to roll up our sleeves, and talk about Tywin Lannister. And that's where I'll end my conversation tonight, because Tywin, Tywin, to me, is for that world. He is a villain. Oh, he does things wrong. Oh, he's not good. But he is great. He is a great leader. He is a great mentor to those willing to learn. I think there's those moments in season two where he is spilling some advice to Arya. And yeah, oh, of course, Arya, we know a plethora of mentors and relationships. Yes, 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 yes. But Tywin Lannister, as Alden said in his call, uh, he did not mentor his children well. He mentored a lot of other folks in his own way. I don't think he ever thought of himself as a mentor. He thought of himself as a ruler, as a power. But you could learn from him. And there was lessons but his biggest mistake is he failed probably to teach with empathy, to teach with uh, any sense of love. It was all uh, duty and vengeance when needed. And that proved to be his undoing. But when you watch him with Tommen, just like when you watch him with Arya, he's good with Tommen. He's good. Again, I can't wait for Andres and I to talk about this. We're talking about mentors in Game of Thrones. That's that's what we're diving into. Go to that scene with Tywin and Tommen. Joffrey's dead. Cersei's crying. Now's not the time. Oh, it's the time. Oh, he's harsh. But he's soft. He's direct. He's, he's soft in a Tywin way, just like he's with Arya. For Tywin, that's pretty soft. Giving him the harsh lesson. And Tommen takes to it right away. It does make me think, again, for this world... For this world, for Westeros even specifically, does Tywin want bad things for it? No. He 
wants to preserve his family legacy, his dynasty, and preserve this kingdom. Again, I'm not defending all the horrible things he's done. I'm just putting it within this con- in the context of this world. That moment with Tommen is all true. It's all right. He wants to make Tommen the best king. I don't think he wants to waste energy as he had to with Joffrey in keeping a king in line. Tommen had the right temperament to rule. Tommen was sweet. Tommen was naive, yes. Tywin had his claws in him, just like others were putting their claws in him as well. It was, uh, you know, led to the tragic undoing. Cersei, though she had some moments with Joffrey trying to be a mentor, she just didn't uh, know how to do it because she didn't have a a good example. Uh, Talking about the effect, I think Tyrion survives... He found mentors in other spots because he had to, or he mentored himself in a way. Uh, but Jamie and Cersei did not have the good mentorship, and there's the effect. The most obvious negative effect is, is those two characters and how they go awry. But Tywin, he tried in some regard. He's an interesting character, which is why we're not going to go into it more. That's just my quick thoughts on mentors, but it's, it's a key part to the show. It pops up. Ari and the Hound. I mean, we could do a whole episode on Ari and her mentors. The Hound's a mentor. Bran of Tarth is a mentor. It's a pod. It's constant. It's important. It's important to our lives. It's important to the story. It's a very realistic aspect. And again, because of Gandalf and Obi-Wan and uh, any of Harry Potter's teachers, the mentor role is very important in these modern myths and fables. George knows that, but he adds a very realistic wrinkle to it all, as he often does, and it makes it very interesting. It's a very powerful aspect, not often discussed, and that's why I'm glad Alden brought it to our attention, and we'll revisit it, I'm sure. Who are your favorite mentors in Game of Thrones? What are your favorite mentor moments Let's talk mentorship. Keep the conversation going, right? I think we will. It's fun chatting with you. Sorry it was just me this week, but we'll get some guests coming in soon. We'll get the co-hosts back. Don't you worry. I appreciate your support here on Casterly Talk. Spread the word. You know, let people know there's still many things to discuss here in this world of ice and fire as we build towards the prequels, as we look back and we ask these important questions and just enjoy this world. It doesn't have to go away. Journey hasn't played, and Tony Sobrano isn't looking up in the door being shut. The story still goes on in our minds. The characters, the lessons, the memories, the lists, the rankings, it's all there. We'll get into more of that, too, here as we move forward, and hopefully soon. Yeah, Star Wars news is kind of what's big this week, and God, I love it all, but I'm waiting for that week. I'm waiting for that week. We sit down and go, man, we got plot details, we got casting news, we got a trailer. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. And I'm glad you're all here for it. So that's that. You can follow me at Catnapsock. Use the cash, uh, hashtag Casterly Talk. You can reach out again through here on Anchor. Leave a message. You can support the show through Anchor as well. Uh, but I appreciate you listening, sticking around after the breaks. That's the support that the show really needs. And uh, as I said, spread the word too. We'll see you next time on Casterly Talk. <laughs>